Listener Production. On today's episode, Nathan Jones joins us to talk about the results of last night's tribunal, what we've seen from the Bombers so far across season 2023, and we, of course, get stuck into the demons' form so far this season. G'day guys and welcome back to Footy Talk, your daily dose of footy with all the latest news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. And what a treat we've got for you today in studio with me is Nathan Jones, former captain, 302 gamer, of course, with the Melbourne Footy Club. Jonesy, always great to see you. Thanks, Ab. Nice to be in. I'm uh, excited to talk a bit of footy and uh, it's good to hang out. Good to hang out, as always. (laughs) But three rounds down into season 2023. What are your thoughts so far? Um, I've really enjoyed it, to be honest. It's, um, you know, I guess it's sort of those first probably month, six weeks, you're kind of feeling out where teams are at. Um, I think we probably, we look back a lot on on, uh, previous form to kind Mm. of get a read and sort of formulate opinions. But really, you know, a new season, it's, uh, you know, there's fresh players, teams have made adjustments and... There's been some surprise packets. I think, um, yeah, I think the form of the Saints, to be honest, personally, I uh, probably <laughs> I wrote them off um, before the season. Don't tell your brother began. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I already, I did tell him that. Um, and like most seasons or most good seasons, that this, the competition seems pretty even at this mm, point. Certainly does, and it takes generally what six, seven, eight rounds for that ladder to really start taking shape. But let's get to some of the top stories of the day. The Tribunal, a big night there last night. Griffin Logue, one match suspension has been upheld at the Tribunal. He will miss the Good Friday match this weekend. He was suspended for that high bump, which was graded careless conduct, medium impact and high impact. So the ruse will now be without both Logue and Ben Mackay for that clash. And on the other side of things, Blake Akers, his band was upheld as well. So he will miss this week's match up against North Melbourne. What were your thoughts on those two findings? In some way, I think both of them are relatively stiff because they're kind of in the action of, um, well, in both cases, in the action of competing for the ball. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, I think Griffin Logue, if you're critical on his technique, probably could have got lower and his hands down. But, you know, it was it's all of those sort of split se- uh, second decisions. I thought that that fumble, the fumble yeah. that might, may have saved him. Had the ball him. bobbled up yeah. and, he'd ta- and he'd taken the ball and, and then cannon into um, the opposition player, you know, it, it, Probably wouldn't have even been looked at. Yeah, I think Acres wasn't too dissimilar. Like it looked as if he was sort of coming in for a smother, and then at the last minute, kind of maybe changed his decision and just clipped. I think it was Daniel on the way mm. past. So, but we're talking split second. Split second. So yeah, a- I know. as a player. Well, I'm, yeah, that's the thing. I always put myself back in in yeah. those shoes, and it's you know, I guess technically we're trying to, uh, you know, we, we we've got to get the guys to. Okay, I guess be more sound in that. Um, you know, I guess both of these have been graded as careless conduct. I can probably understand why. Obviously, there's been high contact in both instances. But at the same time, um, you know, I think we've got to look at it realistically. Like some mm-hmm. in some cases, you know, comparative to others that we've seen, you know, the broad incident last week, it, that's a, for me, there is, um, I guess there's, there's no kind of uh, responsibility being taken in an action like that to it's to, cut uh, and dry protect. With a sling, yeah it's isn't cut it? and dry yeah. yeah whereas I think these incidents in particular are sort of football actions that have just resulted in injury and we are mm. playing contact sports so it's it's very 
grey for me, which um, you know, I can I can sort of see both sides of the argument. I I think looking at them, looking at them back before yeah. we started this, <laughs> if it if it was my preference, yeah, you know, I, I don't think they should have been suspended for a week, either of them in, in both instances. I'm with you there. But speaking of grey, grey areas, it was interesting listening to Jack Rewalt on 360 last night, just about the dissent call and, yeah. and I guess the confusion from players there as well. So let's take a listen to what Jack Rewalt had to say. No one has an idea because yeah. the umpires have admitted that each umpire has got a different yeah. emotional reaction to, to players. So how, how are we to know whether we catch someone on a bad day or a good day? Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's moments after that um, that descent free kick, where players are doing the exact same thing, and we don't get the we don't get the same result. So, I mean, we're, I, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Interesting, isn't it? Because if players are unaware of you know where umpires are going to draw the line and what's considered dissent and what's not, if the umpires are confused themselves as well, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? Uh, where do we go from here? I'm I'm totally with him. Seeing that incident live the other day, I was like gobsmacked. Yep. Um, yeah, we're playing an emotional game and there's a lot on the line and, um, you know, I think a player's reaction in in the case that we saw in the GWS game, yeah. like, come on, like it... it um, you don't want players to be robots either. Absolutely. From and my I opinion, think, I think you, you want I, the emotion, but I, yes, to a degree. I think that's the beauty of the game really, like, and I think we have to embrace that to a certain degree, you know, I, I, and I'm all for, you know, if players are abusive with language yeah. or action, 100%. Totally. But in, in this case, it was sort of just pleading with how, give me an explanation, mm. is how I read it in terms of the body language. Nothing kind of threatening um, or abusive in any there way. There was no swearing <laughs> or anything, was um, there? I'm just like, no wonder everyone's confused. Like, I'm confused. I can't can only imagine the players and and like you said you know we don't want the players to be robotic no. um you know we want the fans to be just as passionate and um you know just as invested and emotional for their team and yeah. for their club we want the same for the players on the field obviously within reason and um and I felt like that was absolutely within reason totally I feel like the players are, are seeking a little bit of clarification <laughs> yeah. around this once again Rightfully so. once again now off the top you and I were there on Saturday night it was a fantastic spectacle yeah, for the was. Saints in their 150th celebration the bombers unfortunately um, you know, came away with the loss, but they certainly showed a lot of grit. So I, d I just want to ask you about them, how you see them under Brad Scott and they take on GWS on Sunday at Marvel. So yeah. where do you think that they sit currently? Oh, look, by no means do I think that um, they're a top four no. um, team. Um, but I guess one thing I'm really looking for when you go and watching a team um, is – the improvement that they've made and, and, you know, you listen to the opinions and the perspective that a lot of people had last year, particularly around their midfield group, not running two ways, not defending well enough, no system on defense. That's completely changed. Um, they have a really clear system. You know, that's probably still got to be tinkered with. I'm sure internally they're, you know, try, trying to tighten the screws on that to turn the ball over in better positions. But if you're looking at the shape behind the footy and the way they're kind of cohesively moving and working for each other on defense, you know, they're a much improved team. And, and we saw that the other night, um, you know, the saints 
maybe uh, last year the Saints kick away to a 30-odd point win and the Bombers roll over and lose by 60 or 70, mm. but they fought back. They did. And that takes a lot of energy to come back to that position, level the game up. And that, and then uh, on the complete flip side, the Saints are in a very similar position and they play both similarly in terms of the way they play, speed on the ball on offense and you know really sort of soundly um, set up on defense. Both rely on pressure and small forwards and these... And, and obviously a two-way running midfield. But, um, you know, it was just a quality game, I thought, on the weekend. I think for the Bombers, you know, they're going to have their ups and downs. They're going to be challenged in in many ways. And, you know, it, it'll really challenge the new system that they have in place. But I think, um, you know, they've made huge inroads already under yeah. under their new coach and coaching group. And I, I think that, you know, there's a lot to like and a lot to work with. So many positives to take out of that loss on Saturday night. I think... Bombers fans are going to enjoy watching Alwyn Davey for many, many yeah. years to come. That chase down tackle yeah, on Hill, which it? is not an easy thing to do. Uh, that was really impressive. And they'll be happy. I think Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody is back, fully training this week after missing the last fortnight due to a quad issue. How so, good was his return? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah. good. They said it beautifully. The footy is better when Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody's running around here on the MCG. Now, round three rising star announced yesterday. It is Ruben Jinby from the West Coast Eagles. He's an exciting prospect for them, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I I actually like what the Eagles are probably another team, you know, that are reinventing themselves, some older senior heads, Mm. um, you know, obviously some youth coming in and – None more so than that than that young fella, Ginby. Is that his? Is that how Ginby? you put? Yeah, Ginby? yeah. So yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, they they've got a little bit of work ahead. The Eagles just to continue to chip away and reinvent themselves. Like I said, you know, there's, there's probably some older guys that are towards the back ends of their career, but I think they're replenishing that mm. with some youth. And um, you know, I think their coach in particular. I'm a, I'm a big rap for him, and I think that they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll turn around pretty quickly. 20 disposals, eight tackles and six clearances in the Eagles' 41-point loss to Frio in the Derby over in the West, but a very impressive start to his career. Now, something very exciting for you happened on the weekend, yeah. didn't it? You had the honour, I guess, of presenting and passing on that number two jersey yep. or Guernsey to Jacob Van Ruin at yep. the Melbourne Footy Club. How was that? Because it's an incredible honour to to pass down the baton and and see these young fellas come in and the start to their AFL careers. Yeah, obviously it was um, it was awesome to be back there. And, uh, yeah, I was really grateful for the club offering me the opportunity. And um, you know, I, I sort of reached out to him on probably Thursday. Maxie had been keeping me in the loop, <laughs> um, probably maybe for the week, ten days prior, that things were looking promising for him, and he'd actually off the back of a uh, pretty dominant VFL performance the weekend mm. before he messaged me on the Sunday night and said, get ready, make sure you're available to come Sunday. I reckon you might play. Love that. Um, and so I, I sort of cleared the decks and made sure that the <laughs> after Sunday afternoon was free. And um, and then, you know, we got to Thursday and, and obviously the boys would have done main training and he mm. found out that morning. And Max messaged me straight away again and I got, got hold of his number. And, you know, we sort of met and crossed paths here and there. But... Um, obviously not to this degree yet. And, uh, so we, we caught up for a coffee on Friday morning and, um, just got to know him a bit better and have a chat to him and, um, you know, hear about his journey and his story and those kind of things, which kind of, um, I guess solidified the reason why the club called me sort of back November thinking they'd, they'd found one to pass my jumper down to. And, you know, I'd only heard good things, but for the chance to sort of just sit with him and chew the fat over a coffee and, um, and get to know each other, 
then obviously being there Sunday and um, and being able to present his jumper to him in front of all the boys and yeah. and the club and his his family and geez he uh, looks good doesn't yeah, he? he Nineteen awesome. years old, one hundred ninety three centimeters. He kicked thirty six goals in his first season of VFL footy. Comes out, kicks three on debut. Yeah. Um, I was sitting in the stand. I literally was right above that first goal. He got gifted a little bit of a, a free kick yeah. from a ruck infringement in the forward 50 and he went back calm as ever and slotted it. And there was a bit of a joke I made in um, when I handed his jumper over that, you know, the number two had never really seen too many contested Can marks or um, crashed too many packs. But <laughs> now that uh, that he's going to be donning the jumper, I'm sure the fans will be endeared to that. And, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm super excited by what he showed in that in that first game and obviously what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing in probably the previous 12 months and there's no wonder why the club rated him so highly and, um, you know, hopefully he's got a long and exciting and successful career ahead. David Neitz came on the podcast last week and the boys were asking him about who they think will be the greatest ever D to potentially come out of the footy club. Let's take a listen to what Nita had to say. So I've got a sense that um, it might be Clayton Oliver at the end of his career when yeah. he hangs out the boots. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty phenomenal. Yep. The guy's still pretty young. He's he won four best and fairest. He's uh, he's you know he's a phenomenal player, and and his level of consistency is just beyond anything that I've seen. Yep. Gorney, Clary, where do you sit on this <laughs> one? I don't reckon I've ever seen anyone better than Clayton, like up close, mm. um, just from a natural ball winning midfielder, footballer, like. Um, there's been some talk on Clayton Oliver during the week about the Brownlow prospect. He's surrounded by quality, quality players. Yeah, yeah. Maxi Gorn, Petrarca, even, you know, Lever, Maisie down back, the guys up forward. He could potentially not win a Brownlow purely on the fact of the calibre of athlete and yeah. player that are surrounded by him. Oh, yeah, for sure. But in the end, I, like from my perspective, I don't really – care or value that. I think no. it's more just, you know, if you just look at the body of work, 150 games, four best and fairest, yep. you know, it, uh, I saw the stat the other day, you know, contested possessions for someone at 150 game, like he is too, absolutely yeah. streets ahead of anyone else in the history of the competition. Um, as far as contested possessions, one in your first 150 games, yep. I think it was like plus 300 on the next person. So that's like, it's incredible. The level of um, consistency, and just the level overall in terms of um, the heights he's reached at such a young age. And really, like, you know, going on history, he's probably just entering his prime now. Totally. Um, so, scary, yeah, it's hard, it? it's hard to deny what Nita said. But in saying that, you know, I probably look at things maybe from a little bit of a different lens. And it is hard. Like, I think Max's leadership's been incredible, his growth as a player. I'm, but I'm fortunate enough to have been on the inside and seen all these yeah. guys from – you know, I guess Nita's commenting from the external and I'd lived right next to them from the minute they got mm. to the club. So Max Max and Track, it's you know, I think it's those three in particular that yeah. are, are probably the most obvious. But you know, maybe without one and not the other, you know, maybe they're not to the level they're at right now. And I think that's the one thing we probably miss a lot in this game is acknowledging and you touched on it before, the depth of the team and yep. the quality players everywhere. You know, ultimately what we see and what we're treated with in terms of individual performances is generally off the back of, you know, teams being 
super consistent and successful as a unit mm. and allowing those guys to sort of flourish and um, shine in, in their specific roles. It's a scary prospect for any opposition side coming up against that midfield group. But Jonesy, good start by you. We've got to take a break. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Listener, please hit the like button and leave us a review or rating. We have new episodes coming your way every day at lunchtime. After the break, Ethan Meldrum joins us in the studio. Listening to Footy Talk and Ethan Meldrum, the number one stats guy here in studio, because Jonesy and I have got absolutely no <laughs> idea on the stats front. Jumps in. What have you got for us? G'day, Abs. G'day, Jonesy. Um, so the three things I've got this week. Uh, Geelong, obviously, big talking point, 0-3. One of four teams, one of four reigning premiers to be 0-3. Mm. Uh, just looking through their numbers, all around the ball, all around the ground. Bad news all around the ground. Um, normally, like, a lot of teams can go 0-3. A lot of teams can lose three games in a row. And, like, there are some good signs there. There's some things to work on. And you'd think that for a reigning premier. Like, they're a good side. Around the ball, they've dropped to second last in the competition. Ball movement, they've completely flipped the way they play. And their turnovers are getting punished as well. Last year, last year they turned the ball over about, about average for an AFL side. Yeah. And they'll punish 14% of the time. That it was by far the best in the competition ranked number one by a long way. It was part of the reason why they won the flag. This year, they're getting punished by a score 26% of the time when they turn the ball over. Number one in the comp by a long way. So their contested ball is down. Their ball movement's down. They're going longer instead of shorter. So they're taking a lot less uncontested marks and they're getting punished the other way. Mm. It's bad news all around the ground. It doesn't strike me as a team that's, you know, 0-3, but there's good things to work on. It's 0-3, but... Okay, things a mediocre are, side. Yeah, there might be a mediocre side. Um, you, you know, you don't brush to say that, and obviously they got Hawthorne and West Coast in the next couple of weeks, so they may be able to turn things around. Yeah. But it's it, it's not great signs for the Cats at the moment. What are you thinking, Jonesy? Because obviously the Premiers last year don't fix what's not broke. Mm-hmm. In that saying, is it a, something that Geelong are doing differently, or is it other sides that are coming up against them and know exactly what to combat? Oh, there's a huge shift in that hunter hunted mentality. There's no doubt about. That and that that well that reflects their struggles in contested footy. And I think the the one of the most important things, like I assume last year they were top four in that stat alone, just just winning the contest. Yeah, they were fourth in the comp mm. for contested. Yeah, ball and and diff. if you think about that, it's all about field position and being able to get the ball inside forward fifty, yeah. and what that does is allow you to set up a really clear defensive system behind that. But if teams are taking that away from you and you end up playing a lot of your footy in your defensive half, you know, the effort and precision you need to then transition the ball, the length of the field is actually really difficult to do, particularly mm-hmm. in the way the modern game is played. So I think really they at their core, they just have to rectify that stoppage contest win part of their game. And I think what will end up happening is, you know, defensively that will fall into line that all of those players are still the same players from last year. Mm. But at the minute, I think teams are going after them. They're obviously doing a lot more research on them. They've figured out ways to break them down. And in some regard that, that they would be possibly underdone. And, you know, I think I read a comment from Paddy Dangerfield before, you know, they're lacking a little bit of confidence, yep. which 
which is fair enough too. Like off the back of a premiership and losing your first three games, they they would be they'd be those sort of mental demons and doubts. Like, oh, are we are we actually in trouble here? Kind of thing. So, mm. you know, I think internally they'd be trying trying to remain calm. You know, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, and just hopefully trying to chip away brick by brick at rebuilding their foundations. Because I think ultimately they're going to have to make some adjustments, but they're still a quality side, and and hopefully in the next couple of weeks they can um, you know find their feet. Yeah, the good news is they've got a they've got a lot of time to turn around. A couple of couple of hopeful easy games that they've got in the next couple of weeks. Scott Pendlebury is the second one I want to focus on. AFL player ratings right now at thirty five years of age have mm. him as the number one rated player in the competition. Three hundred sixty one games into his career, it's remarkable. Just look at the way look at the way he's playing at the moment. Like his disposals are down a little bit. He's averaging twenty four a game. That's probably about in line with his last couple of seasons. We've known he's been like a thirty disposal player in previous years. Right now, 15 of those dispo- fifteen of those disposals are in the forward half of the ground. Yeah. Highest he's ever rated in his career. Most most ball he's ever won in the attacking half of the ground. Uh, he's leading the league in score involvements. He's averaging nine a game. Third for score assists. Fourth for meters gained by hand. So he's a he's become a really damaging weapon in the forward half of the ground, which is probably not in line with what we thought Scott Pendlebury would be. Mm. It, it was a lot of chat, you know, and he moved to half back a little bit last year. Craig McRae's flipped it and said, you can run forward a little bit and become a weapon for us offensively. And it's worked really well for Collingwood so far. How good is this? Yeah. So did you, 35? He's 35. Yeah. So banging down the door of 400 games, he will absolutely get there with the way that he's playing. Could he potentially be the new games record holder over the next five years uh, or so. I wouldn't be putting a cap on him, no. that's for sure. No. Um, Especially with the way that he's still performing. Yeah, now. and I think the it, like if you look at it, it's um, a reflection of how good the pies are going. So, yeah. um, you know, I think he's, he's obviously got a little niche role that McRae's got for him and he, absolute consummate professional elite player, is just getting out there and executing whatever he has to fundamentally do in his role for the team. But he's got, you know, 18, 22 guys around him that are doing the same thing. Like, they're playing irresistible footy. And and I think, you know, it's not only Scott, which a credit to him, really, obviously at his age, but the entire Collingwood footy club are playing like, you know, I, I called it halfway through their first game in round one. I thought they, they've got all the, all the hallmarks mm. of a premiership-looking mm. side. I want to ask you, though, as the captain of a footy club, obviously Scott Pendlebury captained that side for a very, very long time. Even just him stepping down and and taking that pressure off his shoulders, mm-hmm. do you think that might have a, a an impact on oh, the way yeah. that he can Absolutely. go out and just play footy? I think um, you underestimate the the mental capacity required and and even sort of the physical you know appearances and additional meetings and um, you know this is a lot of time involved in being a skipper um, that goes above and beyond. Yeah. I think you know him in some way he would relinquish those responsibilities. You know, he'd still carry a huge amount of weight from a leadership perspective totally. and be super influential and guiding with the current leadership group and a lot of those young guys. But the freeing up of those that time would allow him to rest and recover and prepare and and um, and probably, you know, I guess give him some freedom of mind to spend time with family and do other things that I know he would love doing. You know, we interact together. We coach together at, um, you know, a school um yeah, he, he's got a lot of things going on outside of footy. And just to me, you know, when I talk to him and speak to him and see him, he's just got such a great balance. And I think that certain, that decision would contribute to ensuring yeah. that he maintains that and, and it's clearly working for him. 
Yeah, the other one I want to touch on, uh, and particularly relevant to you, Jonesy, is Melbourne and how they've flipped their ball movement this year. Last year, of course, they you know lost eight of their last 14 games. This year, there's been a real change in sort of uh, behaviour going forward. Their mark play on percentage last year was 17th in the competition, second last. This year, it's fourth. Their kicking efficiency has jumped to second in the competition. Their kicks long down the line have gone from fourth in the league to second last. Their last for contested marks used to be a long down the line team. Yep. Now they're trying to run and gun. Now they're trying to hit up short kicks. And you look at everything as a result of that. Their goals per inside 50 last year, 14th in the competition. This includes their 10-0 and 0 start. This includes when they were, you know, a moral for the premiership halfway through last season. And now they're first in the competition, averaging 110 points per game. Number one in the league for scoring efficiency by a mile. The top two teams in the league for that stat last year were Geelong and Sydney, the two grand finalists. Jonesy, big flip in how Melbourne play. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think they needed to. Um, you know, watching them closely last year, uh, teams had sort of worked out that they were, or they had a really clear willingness to want to take, like, meterage and in particular long down the line kicks. Um, so, you know, I think that's in line with the game trends and they had to make that adjustment. Um, yeah, you know, I think that they've clearly put in the work in the off season because that that the level at which they're playing at as well, um, you know, and and that's even including one of a loss out of one of those those three uh, one loss in those three uh, first three games. Yeah, I think, um, and that probably plays more to their strengths, particularly that midfield group. They do have a relatively kind of dynamic, um, you know, forward line. You know, don't necessarily have that big lump that plays down the line that mm. makes contests and brings mm. it to ground. Um, you know, potentially they might, you might see them do a little bit more of that when they are playing with Gorn and Grundy, yeah. but obviously without Gorny at the moment, they've got, you know, but you know, Petrarca, Fritch, Ben Brown's not really a crash and bash player, more on the leaders of forward. Um, Van Ruin's probably quite similar, although will compete in the air. I think they're playing more so to their strengths and, um, and clearly, yeah, it's got off to a ripping start and um, hopefully they can maintain it for, for Demon Faithful's sake. Thanks, Heath. Thanks, Abs. Great Thanks, Jonesy. By you. Thanks, mate. But, boys, before we let you go, Jonesy, I'm just going to throw one question at you from our socials. Somebody has written in and asked us, are you planning on doing any more Ironmans or, <laughs> or what's, what's, what's next uh, on that front? I don't really have the time, to be honest. No, um, you're a busy man. Yeah. Very busy man. Um, but I don't know. We'll wait and see. I, I keep relatively fit just in case yeah, the opportunity comes up. I wouldn't mind, like, you know, if I could just find some time here or there just to commit to a bit of a training program, I'd, I'd consider it. But um, in the short term, no. Somebody else has asked, would you ever go on Survivor or SAS? Yes, or... I would. You would? There you go. <laughs> Putting the would. call out I now. I would. Um, like I don't, I've never watched Survivor, or not, not, um, you know, I guess for an entire season, I've got a bit of an idea, but um, I have seen a bit of SAS and yeah, any of those kind of um, shows, I'd be, I'd be open to. We'll wait and see. <laughs> You're gonna have the the EPs and the producers <laughs> knocking. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathan Jones. Ethan, as I said, always great to have you in studio. If you have any questions for us, you can get in touch on our Instagram at footytalk underscore pod or on TikTok at footytalkpodcast. Tomorrow in studio, Abby Holmes and Daisy Thomas, a dynamic duo. Am I allowed to talk to myself as third person? Uh, I don't know if you can. No. Yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Speak to you tomorrow. Listener.